This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for December 24th, 2023. The title of the message is The Son of Promise. Well, we come now to the reading and preaching of God's Word. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses. If you have a different translation or you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the bulletin or the slide behind me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for his help to understand what we're about to hear. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it, um, Lord, may it be uh, sweeter to our lips than honey. As we hear it read and preached, Lord, can, Lord, would you help us to testify to ourselves and to one another and to the whole world that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord, would you be with me? Would you empower me with your Holy Spirit? Uh, Lord, as I read, and particularly as I preach your word, that it would go forth and not return unto you void without accomplishing all that you ordain. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to give you a little bit of context, we come to our penultimate uh, message in in our Advent series, the the giving of a son. We looked uh, in Genesis 3 with regards to the very first promise of a son, that the Christmas story uh, began really uh, in the garden when Adam and Eve fell into sin and God proclaimed his curse. Uh, But in that curse, came the promise of victory and of salvation in the giving of a son who would crush the head of the serpent and who would himself in the, in the process be, have his heel crushed. And then we saw the Christmas story continue in the promise uh, through Abraham, through a son of Abraham. And we think of uh, what transpired with uh, Isaac, uh, that uh, he was born when they were uh, almost a hundred, over a hundred years old, and uh, and it was a mir- miraculous uh, baby, and that that story, that promise of the son of Abraham that would bless all the nations and make Abraham into the father of many nations, uh, is fulfilled in Christ. And then last week we saw uh, the son of David, that that the Christmas story uh, gets sharper and sharper in its vision of a messianic Davidic king who would rule on the throne of David forever and he would redeem his people and give them peace. And this morning now we come to one of the most central prophecies and promises uh, of the Christmas story here in Isaiah chapter nine. So with that, let, me, let us hear now the reading of God's holy word beginning in verse one. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In P.D. James's dystopian novel, The Children of Men, the fabric of society and the world is falling apart. After a worldwide pandemic, humanity faces extinction because people can no longer have children. And so the whole world is plunged in darkness, despair, and hopelessness because there are no more children being born that the extinction of the whole human race is slowly happening because there are no more births. And the very last child to be born in, in this dystopian future kills himself because he sees no hope. And in the midst of that hopelessness, there's chaos and disorder, darkness and despair. But in the midst of that darkness, over a slow dying human race, there's a character Uh, Her name is Julian, and she becomes pregnant against all odds. The conception and birth of this baby brings a kind of Christmas hope to the whole world that is slowly dying. As we continue in our Advent series, this is very much like what we see Uh, 2,000 years ago, with the whole world cloaked in darkness, despair, and hopelessness, a bright light shines in the midst of that darkness, in the promise of a son, in the promise of Christmas. This morning, I want us to consider what the promise of this son means for us on this Christmas Eve morning. Let's look at our passage, and I'm going to Concentrate primarily on verses 6 and 7. First, the promise of this son shows us how to receive a gift of God's grace. Nobody nobody teaches us, at least uh, as much as we need to, how to receive a gift freely uh, from someone that we love. And here, Isaiah is preaching the gospel to a people cloaked in darkness and sin. If you remember the history of Israel, they have rebelled against God. They have made covenants and treaties with other nations. They have not only uh, tried to worship the Lord, but to also worship the idols of the nations around them and and kind of have a syncretistic view of of religion to say, we're going to hedge our bets. We're going to worship God, but we're also going to worship these other idols. 
And as a result, God has prophesied that he would send them into exile, that he's going to punish them, that there's going to be a war and they're going to lose. They are cloaked in darkness, hopeless, and they're wondering if God still loves them. And then in verse uh, 1 here, Isaiah proclaims that a new age is going to dawn in the midst of this darkness and despair. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. That here Isaiah is proclaiming uh, the gospel in the coming of light. That they're going to rejoice and be freed from the yoke of their oppressors. And so the question is, how is God going to rescue and redeem his people from this darkness and despair? He is going to do it through the giving of a son. Look at verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And this teaches us then a few lessons about the character of a gift and how to receive a gift. Uh, How do we do that? We have to recognize that this is a gift of grace, which means it is to be received and not earned. This is what God's grace looks like in the giving of his son as a gift to a sinful people. Grace is a free gift. It's not something to be worked or merited as if we deserved it. Uh, It's simply given because God in his great mercy and grace simply wants to give it to us without any payment, without any debt. See, this is the difference between works and grace. Work says, I don't need anything from anybody. Why? Because to receive a gift is to admit that I have need of it. And so I'm not going to take it. I don't want it. Or if I do need it, uh, a, a, a works perspective, trying to earn what you receive, you're going to say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to try to work it out so that I can pay God back. I am going to receive this gift on credit and pay him back and maybe pay him back uh, with interest by trying to be good enough, by trying to do good things so that God would love me more or that I could really deserve the gift that I've given, I've been given. or, or, Or you're going, you're just gonna refuse it because you... You don't want to acknowledge that you need it. Work doesn't see what God offers as a gift, but rather something to buy or to pay back. But grace, on the other hand, in stark contrast to the idea of works, grace says, I need God's gift. I need his grace because I know that what I need, I can't, I don't have for myself. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. I can never have enough money to buy it. Why? Because I am a poor sinner in debt. A debtor to God because I owe him a perfect righteousness and I have fallen so very, very short of his glory. I can never be good enough or strong enough I can never do enough. 
I'll never be perfect enough to be able to earn God's love or his salvation. So like all true gifts from one person to another, it's given because the other person doesn't have it or is in need of it. And the person receiving it knows that they need it. And so they reach out with empty hands in their need and they accept and receive that gift as their own. And they receive it as a free gift that they can't pay. They can't buy it. They can't earn it. They can't pay it back. They just receive it with gratitude and with joy. You see, Isaiah doesn't say to us that a son is earned, a son is bought, or a son is paid for. What does it say? A son is given, given freely, given as a gift, given to us. It's not only a gift of grace, but it's a gift filled with sacrifice because someone else had to pay for it. This is the underappreciated side of God's grace and the idea of gift giving. It's free for you who receive it, but it's not free for God who gives it. In the ancient Near East, firstborn sons were the most precious things a parent could ever have. They represented the ongoing legacy of the father as well as the family. They would inherit the father's lands, riches, and reputation. And if there were no firstborn sons, if there were no sons at all, that family would lose it all. And they would generationally move into poverty. And so if a family uh, had no sons, or if they lost their only son, uh, they would lose uh, their standing in the community, they would be impoverished. And this was the significance, if you remember, of Abraham's faith that led him to offer his one and only son at the cost of all of his earthly dreams of a son. God spared him when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son, and as he was about to plunge the knife into uh, Isaac, God said, stop, stop. Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your one and only son, and then he provided a goat as a substitute. And that, that scene points us to the day when God would give his one and only son, his most precious gift, to make sinners like you and me into sons and daughters of the living God. This is the most precious and priceless gift the father could ever given have given he gave him to us who voluntarily who the lord who voluntarily condescended to become incarnate in our flesh and in our humanity he gave jesus to bear the weakness and frailty of our existence he gave jesus to walk among us to live with us to eat drink sleep and laugh with us to live with us in order then to live for us. But the greatest sacrifice that God made in the giving of this gift was in the giving of Jesus, 
for the full purpose of becoming that once for all sacrifice for sin. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the true Isaac, God's true firstborn son sacrificed so that you and I might be forgiven, redeemed, and rescued from sin, death, and hell. He gave his one and only son and poured out his just wrath on him so that he would not have to pour, out, pour it out on us if we would put our faith in him. He did it all for justice. He did it all for, for love. He did it all for us. So when God promises that salvation would come in the gift of a son, he teaches us to receive it by grace, trusting in him because it cost him everything. So you receive a gift and then what happens? You open it and you see what's inside. And this brings us to my second point. The promise of this son also shows us uh, that when we open the gift and we embrace the gift, it teaches us that how to know the gift and the giver of the one who gave it. To know the son and have a saving relationship with him. Isaiah goes on to tell us that the government will be on his shoulders as a son of David, uh, as a king who sits on David's eternal throne, and there will be peace, no more war, there'll be justice and redemption. But then he goes on to give us four names for this child, this son who will be given. And these names teach us the ways in which we will know the Savior, the ways in which he will save us, and we can embrace him as his people. Uh, let's look at these four names. He is a wonderful counselor, verse, uh, at the end of verse six. He's a wonderful counselor who helps us in our sin and folly. Right, the idea of a counselor is that of an, avi of an advisor to help us when we don't know the way to go or what we, uh, what we need to know. Like a defense attorney who stands by us when we're accused of a crime, he sits at God's right hand and pleads our case. This is what he did at the cross when he bore our sins and he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And this is what he does now as our sympathetic high priest who is made like us in every way yet without sin to intercede for us at God's right hand and understands every trial and triumph we experience. And because he is our wonderful counselor, he gets the job done every time. So that when we pray, Jesus can say, as the wonderful counselor, ask whatever in my name and I will do it, John 14, 13 to 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, John 15, 16. Friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus came into the world bearing our humanity so that he might represent us before the Father. And so you can freely, as God's children, as those redeemed by Christ, 
to ask whatever you need in his name. Whatever you need, God, according to his will, will answer it. What a wonderful truth that is. What a wonderful gospel truth. When was the last time you poured out your heart? When was the last time that you went to God out of the depth of your desperation and need? I hope that this truth will free you to come boldly to the throne room of grace, even during this Christmas season. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, but he is also mighty God. Look at what he says there. He is mighty God to empower us even when we are weak. And this is a prophecy not only of Jesus' name, but of his deity. Right? He is both God and man, divine and human. And this is why throughout his life, he would do the mighty miracles that only God could do. He could calm the storm with just a command. He can heal the sick, make the lame walk, give sight to the blind, expel demons from those who are possessed, and even raise the dead to life. And he did what only God can do. He forgave sins. The great mystery of Christmas was this mighty God would condescend the one who spans infinitely greater than the whole known universe with all of its billions of stars and galaxies and planets would contract into the span of a newly born infant baby, frail, helpless. The mighty God became a humble servant for you and for me. It means that when Mary held her baby in her arms, she was holding the mightiest God, the maker of heaven and earth. What a mystery, what a glory that is. Thirdly, he is also an everlasting father to us who are without hope and without God in the world, that through him he adopts us and gives us a heavenly father. We normally think of God as our father, but Jesus, like an elder brother, if you've ever had a, a really strong elder brother, is like another father, right? <laughs> he lavishes us with the Father's love. He images it, he imitates, and he illustrates God's fatherly love to us. Why? Because he is uh, of the Father's love begotten, the great hymn says. That when we see him, we see the Father. When he loves us, we, we experience the love of the Father represented to us. Fourthly, he is the Prince of Peace who reconciles us to God and gives us peace with God. Because of our sin, we made ourselves rebels and enemies of God. That Jesus is the Son of God, the Prince, who through the cross 
makes enemies into friends of God, yea, even beloved children of God. He takes the enmity, the hostility uh, that we have with God because of our sin. He takes it all upon himself when he hung upon the cross bearing our sin and the wrath of God, paying the penalty and the punishment that we deserve so that the full wrath of God is fully poured out so that there's no more for you and for me and therefore then we have peace with God. Jesus, uh, the Roman, the, Paul says in Romans, therefore having been justified by faith because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have peace with God. And it is grounded in this peace with God because of Jesus. We have the right relationship with God that we can now have the peace of God so that no matter what circumstances we may experience, no matter how hard life may be, we can lose a job. We, our, our loved one can get cancer, that our spouses of 40, 50 years can die. Uh, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know how to pay our bills. It feels like life is pulled, uh, the life has pulled the rug from under us and we don't know up from down. We can have peace in every circumstance knowing that God is with us, that God loves us, that he will always be there for us. And it is in that peace that we can experience even the worst of circumstances and still have joy. Why? Because the Prince of Peace came to give us the love of God in our hearts. This is the peace that Jesus gives to us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the peace that we sing about when we sing in that wonderful Christmas carol that we uh, just sang. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Friends, brothers and sisters, have you ever been given a gift that you didn't even know you needed? When I graduated from college and was getting to, uh, ready to move to a new city, uh, a really good friend of mine knew that uh, I would have to cook for myself because I would never make enough money <laughs> to eat out every night. And, and so he gave me my very first kitchen knife. When I opened it, I realized, you know what? I didn't even know I needed a knife because I hadn't, I'd never chopped anything in college. I mean, I saw other people do it, but you know, I didn't think that I needed it. And it was perfect. It was the perfect gift to fill my need so that I can cook. <laughs> it was the gift that I didn't know I needed and, and he filled it. It was so wonderful. This is how God gives us the gift of his one and only son. Even when you don't know, even when you don't think you need it, 
You are a sinner, dead in your trespasses and sins, stumbling through life without hope and without God, cloaked in darkness and despair. And God gives you a gift that fills that need, who saves you from that sin, rescues you from darkness, brings you into his marvelous light, and even elevates you to become a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My invitation to you this Christmas Eve morning is, would you receive, would you open that gift, would you know this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this Prince of Peace, embrace him for yourself, and through the giving of this son, you would have hope this Christmas. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the giving of your son. We thank you for this Christmas in which we celebrate that giving. Lord, would you help us, would you teach us to receive and to embrace that gift so that we might have eternal life. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.